Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is part two of How to Biohack Your Intelligence by our main man with the master plan for just about everything, Surge F. And this will be certainly the more salacious half of this two-parter podcast because he talks about sex also a biohacking tool. So I'm going to do a reading of this great article of his. I do encourage you to go and check out the article itself because he includes a lot of his own personal data. He's got like a lot of screenshots of the the records that he keeps, which is which is interesting. It's proof that he's actually doing, he's actually doing the biohacking. He's not just, uh, he's not just a lot of talk. So I do encourage you to check out the article, but for some people, because it's so long, I thought, hey, I can help people out by doing a, an audio version that people can just play, uh, hopefully while they're, while they're at the gym. So here's what Serge had to say. Sex, also a biohacking tool. And he says, Apology to the female half of the audience. This section is male-oriented. That is what I know and what I optimize for. Hey man, why apologize? Just just do your thing. Don't apologize unless it's unless unless it's really necessary. Key points: sex equals good for you. Dating equals waste of time. Humans equals not monogamous. I just hire fashion models to fuck in order to save time on dating and focus on other priorities. And great sex equals biochemistry. I think of sex as something similar to exercise, meditation, or food. Another physiological physiological need to be addressed in a time-efficient way. Another tool to enhance health, talking about safe sex. Obviously, of course, Serge would never have unsafe sex, would he? And intelligence, and that's what I want to hear about. There are many reasons why sex is useful for intelligence. If we do not get it, we spend a lot of time thinking about it, pursuing it, watching watching porn uh, and other useless distractions. Hey man, What about Nikolai Tesla? He invented all those amazing things and the guy never, never had sex. Had a quite affectionate relationship with a pigeon, I believe, but uh, never got laid. Society is sexualized and ties the male ego to having sex with beautiful women. Doing so makes the ego content and easier to control. Sex leads to favorable hormone profile changes that enhance mood and reduce stress and even help sleep. Funnily enough, even I noticed a very clear correlation between sex and my own deep sleep levels. And anything that improves deep sleep is very valuable. I agree on that point totally. Good sex is a good sleep hack. There is evidence that sex boosts our neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. Getting great sex takes much time and energy. 
Dating takes a lot of time, and much of that time is wasted on people who are not a good fit, on idiotic things like swiping on Tinder or going to clubs, screws with sleep totally, casual dating, which means trading our time and energy for sex, and reassuring our ego that we are desirable. Sex quality in monogamous relationships tends to degrade, and he is a, a source for that. I've heard, I've heard that before, so I think that's, that's probably true. People start cheating or become... I think it depends on the couple. Well, yeah, of course. He's talking about statistical averages. So people start cheating. That would be my girlfriend opining there. And if you hear a little bit of panting going on in the background, that would be my girlfriend's dog. I, I hope it doesn't disturb the podcast too much. Just visualize a, a cute, fluffy little thing as I talk to you about Serge's sex life here. So MLTRs, which I believe stands for multiple long-term relationships. No, monogamous. Monogamous. That's what monogamous long-term relationships. Okay. See, I read the article. Okay. Oops. Okay, monogamous long-term relationships can be great if we are together with someone who is a true friend and shares our values. I was in a monogamous relationship that he refers to acronymically, of course. Serge is, is far too cool to just refer to refer to her as here as, as his girlfriend. She needs to be a, a four-letter acronym. <laughs> I was in a long-term relationship that truly made my life better, and it might happen again. But long-term relationships are not a good solution for sexual desires. Human biology is not monogamous. I quote, overall of the 1,231 cultures in the ethnographic atlas cookbook, 84.6% are classified as polygynous, one man, many women. 15% are monogamous and 0.3% polyandrous, which means one woman with many men. What, what you may find on uh, different adult, adult websites if you're prone to visit such websites. He concludes that monogamy is just unnatural. And then he goes on. Just straight up paying for sex in one-time cash meetings off the internet is unpredictable quality and frankly emotionally unpleasant. Masturbation doesn't deliver the same benefits for some reason. It seems we do trick our brains, but not fully. <laughs> that is a very silly meme of a bear. My solution at this point in life is simple. I have agents from the Russian slash European modeling industry that set up dates slash sex for me that I pay for. They arrange all logistics. I don't have to do anything at all. The whole thing is surprisingly well organized. Think 
messenger bot or closed Instagram profile that sends like 50 new portfolios a day, high profile detailed portfolios with videos, beauty contest photos, links to magazine covers and Instagram profiles with millions of followers. So he's pretty much kind of doing what I described to you that that guy in Medellin did where he just uses outsourced internet dating. He, he just outsources all those digital tasks that you have to complete on the internet to score a date with, with a hot chick. And then he's got some people in, in uh, industry, in the modeling industry that, that he's paying. So I, I'd love to find, you know what I'll try to do? I'll try to find a link to a company that offers that kind of service because it's it's not that bad of an idea, honestly. Internet dating can be quite quite fruitful. These guys can also act as a dating agency, as in go find me 18 to 20 year old girls from small towns who are studying science, engineering, are beautiful in the way I like, have an enjoyable personality, and have never slept with someone for money, but <laughs> want to meet Mike, a Mike. successful guy that will help them out in They're not hookers. life. They're not yes. hookers. There's, there's so many girls out there that fall into that demographic of They're not hookers. 18 to 20, not hookers, who are going to be like future astrophysicists <laughs> and have, you know, really, you know, have like a, a personality that is just like your, your loyal golden retriever dog and you know they're very uh you know they're intellectually deep as well they're not they're not just they're not just a pretty face and of course these girls have they've never slept with anyone for money they would they would definitely not do that but they do they do want to meet a very successful guy who will help them out in life you all you have to do is is just uh you know quarter that quarter that that abundant demographic out there. Oh, geez. If I hit it off with particular girls, which happened a number of times, we just keep meeting when we feel like it, with no expectations of relationships or claim on each other. I know of other high-profile men who really take this to an extreme. For example, like Gulf Royals, who actually keep a rotating staff of 20 women and have full-time assistants whose sole jobs are to manage the logistics, not making this up. I'll do this at some point. Harem sex fantasies. We all had them. There are easy ways to hack emotional chemistry. Meditate or carefully take the right drugs together, have sex right after a gym workout, up hormones, do fun stuff like go to a swingers club. A big reason I decided this is optimal is all the rich guy harasses women stories. This way I, this way everyone unambiguously and honestly consents with clear expectations and a data trail. High profile men just do this much better and safer than regular dating. Basically, I get to have sex with women I find very attractive whenever I like it. All the 
psychological and physiological value of sex with very little time or emotional cost and no risks because everyone's happy. Plus, there's a lot of novelty this way. Sex with three girls at once, yoga teacher from Venezuela, model covered in amazingly cool tattoos, swing club in Prague. I like my life full of interesting experiences. Society tells us that the right kind of sex needs X dates uh, slash dates of knowing each other to be good. And of course, it must not be based on looks or money, a silly theory that can be easily disproved by the existence of makeup and Lamborghinis. Okay, here's my thoughts on this as a guy that has had a lot of red-pilling experiences with women and as a guy that's that's almost completely disabused of the the mainstream ideas on this is first of all i'm just not that interested in having that much sex using condoms that that gets real old in one of my other articles i was talking about how it it is that there is some some fun and novelty to promiscuity as a man, but at some point you just get sick of having sex with different women who look differently and maybe they act a little bit differently in bed, but their vaginas all feel like rubber because you're using a condom. That just gets old. And if you're doing if you're doing a scheme like Surge here is doing, if you actually want to be, if you actually want to be healthy and responsible about it and be adult, be an adult about it, you're just going to be having a lot of a lot of sex where you're blunting about 60, 70 percent of the sensations because you because you need to use protection. So that's why I have written in some other articles about why I think monogamy has a lot of value to it. I do agree with what Serge said, which is that, yeah, monogamy is unnatural. It's not exactly our inclination as human beings. It's not really our inclination as men. But most of the things that we do that make our lives better and the things that we do on a large scale that make our civilizations better, the kind of things that actually allow us to have a, a wealthy and safe civilization where people can do cool things like biohacking, these things all resulted from mostly from men practicing a lot of discipline and doing that which was unnatural. So, but I'll also also uh, concede a couple of, there's going to also be some haters that this article is going to attract that are going to really dislike this and the fact of the matter is that when if when you become really wealthy if you become quite wealthy which it sounds like this guy is and if you do a no, really good job mine. of lifestyle curation where you're creating a really enviable cinematic lifestyle for yourself. Women put you in a different box. They 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 treat you very very differently than they will the 
provider mail. And the provider mail is, is probably what your father was. Uh, the provider mail is the, the guy that, uh, is, that has to wait three dates for sex or six months for sex or has to wait until he gets married, until they have sex, and then he works his ass off for 40 years to put a roof over everyone's house and he often is not, he often is quite low on kind of the sexual totem pole of society. But if you, if, if you're very ambitious and you use all the different social dynamics to your advantage and you learn game and all of those kind of things, you can position yourself to enjoy uh, the sexual abundance that is out there in the world without having to go through the things that society says that you're, you're obligated to. But again, for me, like I said, the, uh, yeah, all of that, having all that sex with condoms, I'm just not so, not so interested in that, but, but I'm, it sounds like Serge enjoys it quite a bit. Maybe he'll go on to describe the, uh, the biohacks that he uses for uh, making condoms more pleasant. Anyways, continuing. In reality, awesome sex just needs the right biochemical buttons pressed. That is all. A lot of you do the stuff I do quietly or fantasize about doing it. Just do it openly. You will look confident and empowered. The world does not get to tell you not to do what you want. I agree with that. By the way, I do think the right long-term relationships can be amazing and valuable. I want these to be honest and based on genuine connection, not on I'm really horny, I'm going to waste my time to pick up women I actually have zero long-term interest in. Finally, if you think of it is if you think it is misogyny to pursue your own desires and encourage everyone regardless of gender to do the same, then you might want to look up the definition of misogyny. Yes, anytime you're a, a confident man, you're going to be showered with accusations of misogyny. Okay, moving on to talking about hormones. Key point, your hormones are probably screwed up. Fix them. It improves mood, energy, and health, and generally makes life awesome. For reasons related to modern life, which is stress, poor sleep, pollution, etc., most of us will have suboptimal hormones. This is hard to fix without expensive professional help and testing, but it is really worth exploring. The general idea is, first of all, test all our hormonal systems a number of times, understand the research or get a high quality endocrinologist to identify opportunities. We may have an opportunity related to thyroid function. Explore interventions, try them, see how we feel, test biomarkers, again, optimize and repeat. I had below average but clinically normal levels of thyroid hormones and of testosterone boosted both via targeted interventions described in my previous post. This improved mood and boosted energy 
in quite a material way. Plus, testosterone is quite important for social intelligence, explained in a later section. It increases confident, aggressive, dominant behavior, as well as willingness to take risks. The associated body language and behaviors make it easier to get people to listen to what you say and do what you want. Next, talking about intermittent fasting. Key point, eat once a day and it'll make you smarter and healthier. I eat only one time a day, late afternoon or early evening and fast for 24 hours. I do this nearly every day. This has major health benefits by promoting autophagy. This has major health benefits by promoting autophagy. The 2016 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine was granted to the discoverer of this mechanism, reducing probabilities of cancer, heart disease, and Alzheimer's. Saves a lot of time. Eating once a day is a huge win because it removes context switching prevents the afternoon slump and keeps our mind sharp for longer. Directly enhances intelligence via improved BDNF slash neuroplasticity. There are 70 supporting studies. There is very wide scientific consensus that it is great for you. Basically, it makes us smarter, saves time, and makes us healthier. Think of how big of an advantage it is to have an additional hour of sharp focus a day for 30 years, and we will live longer. It is also natural. All that stupid shit about eating breakfast and eating five times a day ignores the very obvious question. Do you actually think you evolved to have an around-the-clock Buffet? Do you think the hunter-gatherers ate five times a day? This really is a no-brainer. A bit hard at first, but the body and mind adapt quickly. And I do something pretty similar to this. I will usually do two meals in a day. Although I have done, I will frequently, probably once a week, a couple times a week, I'll do the mono meal deal, where you just have one big meal a day. And it, it sounds excruciating. And maybe the first couple times you do it, it's a little bit tough. You feel kind of hungry and unfocused. But after a while, you do get pretty used to it. People might want to check out some of the other books on intermittent fasting because I've heard some authors that, that would disagree with the mono meal idea, that they would say that it's that it's perfectly fine to have two meals or have a couple of couple of meals that are uh, that are distributed in that eight hour window and then have about 16 hours of fasting daily. Moving on to dietary ketosis. Main points here. Your body and mind work much better if you do not eat sugar, processed foods, and grains, because guess fucking what? Evolution designed you to mostly eat fat. A simplified explanation of ketosis is that we are switching our bodies into burning fat rather than glucose. This requires eating nearly all our calories from fat and can be measured quite precisely via finger blood sticks. 
The fundamental argument why ketosis is good is as follows. For one, oxidative reaction. Ketone breakdown delivers more energy, 20 to 30% more than glucose breakdown. It is basically a cleaner fuel that rusts all our systems less per unit of performance delivered. My doctor, Peter Atia, does a great job of explaining the details in a series of articles here. I can hear you arguing, yeah, right, so evolution didn't build us this way and Serge thinks that he can hack his body's metabolism to be 20 to 30% more efficient. Actually, this is returning us to what evolution built us for. Before we started cultivating grain, carbohydrates and sugars were rarely available. We could basically only get them from berry bushes and beehives. High dietary fat consumption and ketosis is our natural state. This is, there is a great deal of evidence that suggests ketosis is advantageous. Here's another 70 plus studies if you want to read about it. The problem is that ketosis is very hard in the modern world, much harder than intermittent fasting. The reason that sugars and carbohydrates are everywhere and that they are very addictive and in order to be in ketosis, we really have to eat close to zero sugars and our carbs have to be limited to a small amount of fruit and what we get from vegetables. It looks like there is interesting technology on the horizon, HVMN. A biohacking company funded by Mark Andreessen has developed the first commercial grade ketone ester that really does raise ketones rapidly and significantly in uh, 15 minutes for those in the know and reduces blood glucose. The older ketone salt products don't get nearly as good of a result. When I took their ketone ester, note I'm not earning any referral fees or the like from them, although I am friends with the founder, I felt a rapid and lasting influx of energy and focus. Another particularly acute effect was needing to breathe less in normal activity in the sauna and in an interval run. I've heard this from a couple of people now that ketones are a nootropic, more or less. And I've been using uh, this keto product for some time now. I like it, it does give me a, it makes me feel energetic when I'm on an empty stomach, but I'm not really sure if I'd categorize it as a, as a nootropic, but this is what a lot of people are saying. So if you're kind of a person that's, that's tried like a bunch of the mainstream nootropics and you wanna try something new, look into ketone esters. Right now, this is expensive, like $3,000 a month to stay in keto all day and unpleasant. The stuff tastes really bad, although Jeff, the CEO, is saying this will be fixed shortly. I've heard the same thing. I've heard that it doesn't taste great. Hopefully, both will get better. I really like the effects I've perceived so far, as well as the science behind the ketone health benefits. We'll probably take this every day on top of my on and off keto diet. Next, 
on exercise. Not much to add to what I wrote in my previous article. Do interval training, not bullshit long cardio or marathons. Do heavy hip hinge exercises. Sit less. This likely contributes to intelligence via hormonal systems, sleep, stress, control, and even if it did not, you would want to do it for the health benefits. Distractions and addictive cognitive garbage. Eliminate them. Key points. Technology, notification, and news media are vampires that suck our time and energy. Many things require deep, focused work. Switching context is expensive. If we are distracted from writing code by a five-minute phone call, we do not lose five minutes. We might lose hours of excellent work. There is more. Every time a notification, a phone call, a YouTube video distract us, our neural networks get rewired. We become more distractible, less able to focus, more addictive to these things. We become more stupid. Modern tech and media are deliberately designed to make us addicted. Couple quotes from top Facebook executives about this. Your behaviors, you don't realize it, but you are being programmed. You gotta decide how much you are willing to give up, how much of your intellectual independence. My solution is I just don't use these tools anymore. I haven't for years and my kids are not allowed to use this shit. And that was Chamath Pali, uh, Chamath P, who is the former head of growth for Facebook. I think I've seen interviews with him. The thought process that went into building these applications Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. And that was Sean Parker, former president of Facebook. This is not limited to social applications. The news media from BuzzFeed to New York Times are overhyping threats, optimizing clickbaity headlines, and generally doing everything they can to make us care about things that are actually totally fucking irrelevant in our lives. That's right, the news media that claims to inform claims to keep us informed and complains about Facebook designing addictive Technologies actually thrives on hijacking our minds, sucks our time and energy, and makes us more stressed. It makes us negative, stupid people. And there's a really well-written, clever, entertaining book that was done specifically on this. I think it was put out in maybe 2013 or 2012. It was called Trust Me, I'm Lying by... Ryan Holiday, and I did a uh, video blog of this book that you can check out on the Limitless Mindset YouTube channel if you're uh, if you're curious about this topic of how of how the uh, media on the internet has uh, transformed into this 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 monster which is just voraciously consuming uh, and demanding 
attention of everyone and, and turning people mad. Do you really want to spend your days and limited attention resources worrying about what Kim Jong-un will do? Why the fuck do you care? If you think worrying about Kim Jong-un does in fact provide value, I challenge you to post in the comments a list of specific decisions that reading the political news helped you make in 2017. And what concrete valuable outcomes resulted from these decisions? Here are some ideas on how we can approach this challenge. And he has a picture of his iPhone home screen and it just says focus. It is deliberately designed to be uncluttered and trigger me to reading books, listen to podcasts and audiobooks, which is like Overcast and Audible, and use my latest product, which is the Mirror Emoji Keyboard. Consider removing Safari and Messengers from this screen because Although they are indispensable, we do not want to cue our mind to use them. There was a noticeable effect. After I got them out of sight, I stopped checking them without a good reason. Also, my iPhone is switched into grayscale and dimmed, but I can't screenshot it. The idea is to make everything less colorful, attractive, and addictive. Hey, that's kind of a cool hack that he has, turning your, your phone into grayscale mode, I bet you that saves quite a bit of cell phone battery. And yeah, probably just makes it a bit less of an addictive thing. And then I'm thinking about how I can try to implement what he does here with his, with his screen, because it does, his screen does look less distracting. He doesn't have a million icons on his home screen he just had he just has one thing that says focus man focus and i know for me i'm trying to use the coach.me app more that's the habit quantification app and it's one of the few apps out there that is i think engineered to not be really addictive and and not be something that really sucks your time away and presents you with clickbait and ads and that sort of thing. So what I might do is I might clear out all of my homepage apps and just add my coach.me app there. And then that way when I inevitably turn on my, my phone and take a look at it, then I'll just be thinking about what are the habits, the things that I should be doing. I'll let you know how that goes. And he also shows his desktop, which is similarly uncluttered and minimalistic. All my phone notifications are off except calendar and Uber, Facebook and Instagram, and similar apps are deleted. I also deleted the Facebook app from my phone and it is, it is great. That Facebook app really is like digital crack. So I got rid of that. That made life better. I have left the Messenger app on my phone because I do so much messaging, but I use the mute conversations function in the Messenger app 
really liberally. I use it quite a bit. Any any person that's not a you know urgent important contact, I mute their conversations. And then you know once a day I'll go and take a look through my inbox and I'll see if people have messaged me and I'll decide if I want to write them back. But I definitely deactivated that Facebook feature of the messenger app where the little heads pop up and out at you. That that feature is just distraction at its maximum, right? And Instagram, here's, okay, here's what I've done so far with Instagram. I do have Instagram on my phone. You can, you can follow me on Instagram via the links below. But what I've done with Instagram is I have tried to unfollow everyone who is going to post really distracting stuff. So I'm not following like any hot chicks that are taking tons of photos of their boobs. I'm not following anybody that is going to be like posting a ton of photos of like Lamborghinis with giraffes. And what I'm thinking about with Instagram to even make it less of an impulsive thing, but to still get kind of some value out of it and be able to use it as a, a tool to stay in touch with people who might want to hear from me on Instagram is I think I'm going to go in my Instagram and I'm going to unfollow everybody. I'm going to be one of those cocky people on Instagram that has followers, but isn't following anyone. And then my Instagram feed is going to be totally empty and I'll just use it to <laughs> let other people know what I'm eating or what supplements I'm taking or what places I'm visiting or or whatever. That's that's an idea for Instagram. Let me know uh, let me know if, if if some of you are trying that. Moving on. I have a VPN, virtual private network, both on my Mac and on my iPhone that bans web traffic to social media and all news sites at all times. Wow, so he can't even visit like CNN.com, even if he wants to. I add this blacklist of sites to the Mac host file so that it is harder to get around the ban. And here's a guide to doing this. I guess some people are like real news junkies and they'll go and visit the front page of Huffington Post like a couple times a day and just uh, exist in a state of continual, continually being being triggered by whatever the absurdity of the day is that's being uh, broadcast in loud headlines on these news websites. Surge says, I do use messengers and email, but no notifications. Trying to get to no more than two to three blocks of responses a day. I rarely pick up the phone and never from unknown callers. Sure, we can lose some opportunities, but really, who gives a fuck? Life is full of opportunities if we have a lot of time and energy. I live in hotels, but if I ever buy a house, it will be designed to trigger correct behaviors from uncluttered rooms that cause focus to pictures of sugar next to cancer cells in the kitchen. This shit works. Hey, that's not such a bad idea. I have not turned on a TV channel a single time for at least 10 years. Not exaggerating. You know, I think I could probably say the same thing 
every once in a while, I'll be at someone's house or I'll be someplace in public that has a television. And it is just such a jarringly unpleasant, distracting experience to watch the uh, to watch the dinosaur TV channels where you get distracted by annoying, colorful, musical advertisements every 15 minutes. It's, it's amazing that people went through their entire lives spending decades of their lives in front of these, uh, in front of these terrible glowing boxes. There are physical hacks that can help Stay focused by reducing incoming sensory data. My favorite are Etimotic earplugs plus Bose active noise cancellation headphones on top and hoodies to reduce visual field. Useful also when attractive women are around. <laughs> and also make you disappear to the attractive women. I read somewhere that those of you who go into memory competitions buy blacked out glasses and drill holes in them to further minimize field of vision when focused. I want to try this. It actually makes a lot of sense given how much brain power our vision uses. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I wish he would have posted a picture of himself with the Etimotic earplugs and then the Bose active noise cancellation headphones in in a hoodie looking like a real uh, looking like a real cyberpunk, right? And the thing with the drilling holes in glasses, that's that's a cool idea as well, because they do say, if you've ever played video games, you remember that the, that the graphics card on your computer that renders the graphics of the computer uses up a bunch of the computer's energy. It uses up like a highly disproportionate amount of the computing power that it has and your brain is really the same way so it makes a lot of sense that if you can reduce your field of vision you might have more brain power to do other things now that i think about that i'm going to try to track down a study that might uh, suggest that i ignore nearly all requests meet with people only if i can learn something from them or if they are friends and almost never have meetings before 2 p.m. And that makes sense. The morning when you're in the, your most creative mode, when you got the most cognitive energy, why do, uh, why do meetings? There's lots of other things. The key point is that I relentlessly seek out reasons why I couldn't get enough flow on a particular day and prune these reasons. Something I was thinking about was setting up like an Evernote tag. You could do this in whatever software uh, time management program that you prefer, but setting up an Evernote tag and then you would call it something like time wasters. And every time something wasted your time, you would add a real quick Evernote to that tag and you would very quickly build up a list of things that wasted your time. And you'd find that a lot of these things were probably kind of like rote 
processes, especially if you're a person that works with technology or software, and you could be like, okay, some of these things I can outsource, or I can figure out a way to configure my technology so that these things are automated. I, I suggest that. If you're an Evernote user, create a tag for time wasters, and then occasionally go in there and look at it, be like, what's, what's wasting my time? And then hack away at it. Some of you might feel this is extreme and not worth the time investment. Track how many hours you waste away on procrastination, social media, news articles, etc. in a typical month. For me, that number used to be several hours a day and is now approaching zero. Our investment in controlling our info space pays for itself many times over, and it is easy once habituated. This section is also the reason I choose not to have children. None of us will disagree that children are extremely distracting. Disrupt sleep for years are generally a massive cost of time, focus, and energy, and have material risks of not working out for reasons outside of our control. I just don't see the ROI in children given my goals. They won't ever return my time, focus, or energy back. There is no point in passing on our genes once we can live forever. And there are good reasons to think some of us will do so. We can have other meaningful long-term projects, and if we ever feel lonely, we can take MDMA with friends or boost our hormones and neurotransmitters. True happiness is in our biochemistry state. We can have it without intermediate steps. And I'll make the case here, Serge, why you might wanna have kids. And this is because you have a very powerful switch there in your genes that turns on and turns up the motivation that you have to get out there in the world and bring home the meat to your family when you have children. If you talk to many other entrepreneurs, I'm sure you do, ask the ones who are fathers if their income increased once they became fathers. And you'll find that the majority of them say, yes, there was a, a significant increase in my income. There was just something that changed in me that made me even more inventive, more hardworking, and even though I was focused and ambitious before, there was just something that was irreplaceable about having reproduced yourself as a motivational mechanism. So I would say that someone like Serge, as optimized as he has his life now, I would challenge him to take on what he may regard as an arbitrary challenge of fatherhood and take it on just to challenge yourself to make things even more efficient. Because you're here bragging to us about how efficient and effective and focused you are, and it is impressive, but you know that there's actually a lot of room for improvement. And 
it seems to me that you're running out of stimuli to make you to make you work a bit harder. So give that give that a little bit of thought. And hey, maybe one of these days you'll get sick of using condoms too, and uh, and you'll discover that you don't have that much of a choice in this. Moving on to uh, part three point two, which is social intelligence persuasion, social intelligence, which is much more intelligent than IQ. He'll make the case here. Bad news for the high IQ introverts among us. Donald Trump is significantly smarter than we are. In fact, he is demonstrably one of the most intelligent men in the world. And then he has a funny picture of Trump looking like he's yelling about something, saying, just radiating intellect about Trump. He repeatedly survived through bankruptcies, which would have destroyed us if we were in his place, played the media like a fiddle, became president of the U.S., and he isn't a lucky one-hit wonder. He has been achieving for decades things that the majority of us would very much like to achieve. This is not an endorsement of him, but his ability to perform complex tasks. Intelligence is extremely high, and it is based in social intelligence, body language, an understanding of human emotional buttons, that the human brain equates attention and credibility. He says, I am proud of having entered into a $20,000 bet on Trump winning the presidency 15 months before the election. And those of us with high intelligence, and to those of us with high intelligence, it was always obvious that Trump would win. And I also made a bet. It was for a little bit less. It was for only 50 bucks, but I wagered 50 bucks with a German friend of mine that Trump would indeed when even back when he was uh, so demonized and scandalized there in the midst of 2016 and I was I was happy I was happy to have came up on that bet for the same reasons there's a couple of YouTube channels out there that analyze body language and analyze like micro micro communication and subtle communication that goes on and they have a lot of analyses of Trump in interviews and debates and things like that. And they show how he actually is extremely clever in his communication. Moving on though, we should recognize that social intelligence is far, far, far more important than IQ. The reason social intelligence is so powerful is that it scales. An understanding of human emotional buttons enables us to get others to like and support us with their skills, no matter who they are. A high IQ and ability to debate with formal logic is useful to, of course, planes don't fly on emotions, but if we, after a lifetime of observing ourselves and other humans, think we can use logic, facts, IQ to persuade, lead, and connect with others, then we are truly fucking stupid. There is a lot of evidence that social intelligence and social status 
have many second order effects on intelligence, neurogenesis, happiness, intelligence. Did he say that twice or did I just say that twice? I said that twice, I'm sorry. Brain volume, desire to compete, lower stress, etc. There is a whole book full of supporting evidence by Robert Sapolsky, a leading neurologist at Stanford. And lest we think this is just because of human social inequality, a great deal of the research is replicated even for monkey social intelligence and social status. You should read the book. So how do we boost it? The prerequisite is to truly internalize what he, that humans are irrational, but the irrationality is highly predictable. We have to understand and believe this at our deepest core. Favorite example of irrationality. I am well aware that priming studies are controversial. When we hear French music in a wine store, our preferences are materially shifted to French wines, even if we don't become aware of the music. The reason things work out this way is actually highly logical. Somewhere in our mind, there are neural nets for France, French music, French wine, French flag image, and they are linked to each other. This is how we know these are related in some way. Triggering the French music net triggers all linked nets, including the nets for France and French wine. So the incoming signal to the French wine net is a bit stronger than into the Italian wine net at this moment in time. That changes our decision probabilities without us ever noticing. All of us are programmable, hackable machines. So how can biohacking help our social intelligence? Body language, eye contact, and voice tonality have greater persuasive impact than the words we say. Biochemistry impacts these things. For example, testosterone is both a cause and a consequence of confident and dominant body language. Here's a TED Talk about this. I think that is the Amy Cuddy TED Talk. Looking and acting dominant in turn enhances our persuasion effectiveness. Other humans are more interested in what we have to say. And this bias towards confidence is so deeply ingrained that it will remain for as long as we are human. I raise my testosterone via a lot of customized therapies. See my previous article for details. All the anti-stress tools, which are SSRIs, lithium, etc., further enhance your body language of relaxed confidence. We all want to interact with positive, confident, unstressed people. Recently, a top Silicon Valley entrepreneur told me he uses beta blockers to be calm in big public talks. I then found out this is a favorite of concert pianists amongst you. Haven't tried it yet, but just got some propanol. Sounds like an awesome idea. If in a stressful negotiation, we have a cool head and a heart rate of 70 
while the counterparty is 120 plus, we have material intellectual advantage. MDMA has its own separate section here. There are many other hacks. If I want to be aggressive slash passionate in a public setting, I do a set of 50 push-ups right before, which is also great for sex, by the way. If I want to be more calm, then I meditate. The most important thing is that with our huge applied intelligence reserves, we can invest into social intelligence, read books, and my list includes some favorites on the topic. Watch videos of ourselves and practice in front of a mirror. Do public talks, write persuasive blog articles, have deep conversations with friends and family, study neuroscience classes. Over the decades, we can become what Scott Adams calls a master persuader. And we should all read his awesome book on persuasion, Trump, and why humans are not rational. And that's gonna wrap up part three of my How to Hack Your Intelligence podcast series. Or that is going to wrap up part two, I'm sorry. There is going to be a part three, which is going to delve into something that I have not done in a very long time, but which Serge is quite fond of, MDMA. That's right. Again, I'm Jonathan, and I look forward to a continued conversation with you. Legal Notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset Podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.